Now, this uh, this camp that we're doing this weekend is uh, directed towards people who are beginners at meditation. And of course, if you've never meditated before, you're a beginner. But it's possible that some people have been meditating for many years and they're still beginners, which I'll explain to you what I mean by that in a moment. But I know that there's some of you here that uh, won't fall into that category of beginners. So what I would really like you to take away from this weekend is uh, perhaps some knowledge and skill that will help you to help other people to become good meditators. Okay? So uh, whereas everything I do and everything I say will come from that place of expecting that that you've come here really with no background at all in meditation. Uh, but even if that's not true for you, keep just take all of this with the uh, approach that not only how can you perhaps improve your own practice, but most especially, how can you help other people to uh, establish a, a good practice? Okay? So, um, First of all, perhaps a general perspective on meditation. The way we use this word, it means a lot of different things. There, there are uh, various kinds of guided meditations where you imagine that you're laying on a beach and listening to waves and uh, you become very relaxed, right? And uh, there are uh, meditations that involve elaborate visualizations. And then there's meditations that you've probably heard about that lead to uh, blissful trance-like states. And then there's uh, meditations that are referred to as insight or vipassana. And so all of this can uh, be uh, a bit confusing. And uh, so let's, let's just sort of take it from the very beginning and see if we can see how all of these different things fit in to this basic idea that we call meditation. Um, the, what, the, the, the term in uh, uh, Pali, the language that the Buddhist uh, scriptures are written in, for meditation is a bhavana, which means mental training. And that's really the essence of what meditation is. It's training your mind. It's uh, training your mind so that it uh, behaves in a way and it provides you uh, certain capacities, certain abilities that are not normally available to the, to the untrained mind. So this is essentially the, the uh, nature of meditation in any form. Even those kinds of guided relaxation meditations are a way of training your mind to let go of physical and mental stress and enter into a state of relaxation. So anything that you do that involves training your mind so that you have some greater degree of intentional control 
over those processes, those mental processes and those physical processes that normally just happen spontaneously, uh, unpredictably, and somewhat uncontrollably, then we could call that meditation. When we look at all these different meditation practices, some will include uh, to a greater or lesser degree uh, uh, certain components compared to others. But what will be common to all of them, we can look at that and say, okay, what does this mental training involve? On the one hand, they all involve a certain degree of uh, training the mind in terms of what we would call concentration. And on the other hand, they involve, to a greater or lesser degree, training of the mind that uh, has to do with the uh, power of mindfulness or the degree of uh, conscious awareness that is present in the moment. So these two, there are these two th- these two basic capacities of the mind that, in one way or another, we're working with: concentration and and fully conscious awareness. Now let's just examine what the concentration part of it means. Um, we all know what it means to concentrate. We you need to concentrate sometimes, and basically it means being able to keep your attention. Uh, on one thing for a reasonable period of time without interruption. And the other thing that we imply with the word concentration is that our attention is focused so that we're disregarding a lot of other things, so that that the the attention is really centered, focused, uh, more exclusive, restricted to the one thing that we're concentrated on. Okay? So in terms of, when we say the word concentration, we see within that implied is the ability to remain on the same object of attention for uh, a reasonably, for for, uh, a greater than normal amount of time. And the other aspect is to be able to gather together our awareness and focus it on that thing. So that that pretty clear. That's really when we say concentration. That's that's what we're talking about. It's not about furrowed brow. It's, you know, and a lot of times we associate the idea of concentration with sort of a negative thing because most of the times we've had to concentrate, it's had to do with school or work or something like that. Something we necessarily didn't really prefer to be doing. It was something else that might have been more fun, and we had to force ourselves to do it. You know, and it's associated with uh, uh, a certain degree of unpleasantness. But the interesting thing about concentration, and I'll talk more about this, is that as soon as you achieve even a little bit of it, you start to experience a very calm, pleasant, relaxed state. So, you know, it's it's concentration. Try to, uh, when we use the word concentration, try to separate it from... any previous experience you've had that has uh, given you that thing, oh yeah, concentration, that's that's that hard work of making myself do something that I don't want to do. Right? So concentration is really, it's, it's training your mind so that your mind does what you would like it to do. You want to pay attention to something, you 
direct your mind towards it, and your mind cooperates. It stays there for as long as you want to examine and investigate whatever it is. To examine, investigate, enjoy, explore, you know, whatever you want to put it. But your mind stays with it. And the other part of it is that uh, your mind cooperates with your intentions so that that uh, you can you can just focus right in and to whatever degree that you want. It doesn't just mean very being very narrowly focused. It could mean having a broad focus, but it means that whatever the breadth or narrowness of the focus of your attention, it follows your intention. Your mind follows your intention. It's not going off in a dozen different directions. So that's what concentration is about. Any questions about that? There is a word you may have heard that basically means concentration, samadhi. So when you hear the word samadhi, or you read the word samadhi, uh, you should think of that in terms of what I've just talked about. Stability of attention and the ability to control the focus of your attention. That's what samadhi means. Okay. Now this other thing that I talked about, the power of your mindful awareness. This is something else that I, that we all know. You can be, in, in terms of the things that you're aware of, you can be very weakly conscious of them or you can be very intensely conscious of them, right? You can be very alert, aware, and your mind very energized, and you take in uh, whatever whatever information you're taking in, or perhaps even if it's an internal thought process. You you have a very high level of conscious awareness. You're completely present. The details are abundantly clear. The mind is functioning smoothly and powerfully. And we contrast that with, you know, these other states where that's not present. The ultimate of that is a, is a sort of dull drowsiness, and you fall asleep. There's a very high level of awareness, and then there's dullness, drowsiness, and going to sleep. And there's everything in between. And we've all had experiences where uh, we've had a very high level of uh, conscious awareness. In emergency situations, your mind flips into a state of just powerful awareness. It seems as though time slows down, and every detail of what's happening around you is very, is very clear. That would be one example. Uh, there are all those different circumstances. If something is happening that has the potential to benefit you greatly or to create problems for you, you become extremely aware. You become very uh, acutely, intensely aware of what's going on. The motivation, of course, coming from from either the potential promise or the potential threat. But And as we go through our days, are, are we, to a greater or lesser degree, we have these experiences where our mind just pops into a state of more intense awareness. And, of course, we have all of those times when we go the other way. And probably, if you think about it, and especially as you begin to experience the different degrees 
more directly, more consciously experience the different degrees of uh, conscious awareness that you can experience at different times, you'll come to realize that on the scale between, you know, that that very, very ac- acute awareness that you might experience in uh, an emergency situation and uh, falling asleep at this end, that you live most of your life somewhere down here below the midpoint. <laughs> you know, so um, so the other thing that we We'll, that we want to train our minds in uh, meditation is to be able to sustain a high level of uh, conscious awareness, fully conscious awareness, to the extent that this starts to become habitual. Now, there's also something else about this awareness that I'll point out to you. And this is also an extremely important aspect of of meditation. And that is, this awareness can be focused uh, outwardly. You know, well, obviously outwardly we, we can examine an object with great intensity. Or, as I said, in an emergency situation we could be very uh, acutely aware of the things that are happening around us, the events as they unfold. That is very outwardly directed. Um, we could be very aware of the sensations that are taking place in our body. You know, may, maybe outwardly doesn't seem like the right word for that, but with regard to the mind itself, it's still, you know, it's a kind of looking outward towards the bodily sensations. You could be thinking through an intellectual problem and very focused on the thought process, and that's still a kind of, of outwardness in this sense, or ob- let's put it this way, instead of our object-oriented, you're very, the power of your conscious awareness is focused on some object other than the mind itself. And so you're thinking through an intellectual problem and you're focused on the details of that, but there's still a, that object orientation. Now, the other aspect of conscious awareness is that Sometimes it turns around and we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our mind. We're looking at what's going on in the present. And I call that introspective awareness. There's other ways of describing it. Uh, and it doesn't really matter what you, words you use for it. But it, what is really important is that it involves knowing what is happening in the present moment. Knowing exactly what you are doing, what your mind is doing in the present moment. And of course part of that is knowing why you're doing it and whether it's something that you really want to be doing or not. Introspective awareness has these qualities of knowing what you are actually doing, why you are doing it, and whether it makes sense to do it or not. Uh, this is maybe a little more subtle. Do you get what I'm saying about introspective awareness? It is knowing what your mind is doing. So in the process of meditation, we start off cultivating mindful awareness, fully conscious awareness, by focusing on our meditation object, which could, for example, be the sensations of the breath. So you focus on those sensations. 
But in order to succeed in that, you have to develop the introspective awareness so that you know when you're focused on the sensations and you know when your mind has wandered. You know when you're on the meditation object or you know when the meditation object is starting to drift away. It also has to do with that quality of conscious awareness as well. You know when you're fully conscious of what you're observing and you know when your mind is slipping into dullness. And this, this is perhaps the most important aspect of uh, uh, mindful awareness. But we, we need to arrive at it starting out with most of the time our awareness is focused on objects. And we all are only fleetingly aware of what's happening within ourselves in the, mo- in the present moment, moment by moment. So we start out first strengthening the power of our conscious awareness. And then, thank you. And then as, as we succeed in doing that, we will at the same time, as that power develops, it will also become more and more habitual that we know what's going on in our own mind at this very instant and why it's going on. So <clears throat> to take this back again, we have concentration and mindful awareness. Concentration involves continuity of attention, being able to stay with one thing, and being able to determine the degree of focus that we have. Mindful awareness, that is how fully, how powerfully, consciously aware we are of whatever it is that we're paying attention to. And it has two faces or aspect. The outward-facing object-oriented awareness and the inward-facing introspective aspect. The introspective awareness. Yes? That's very interesting um, because I certainly relate to that when I become aware that I'm focused on something, right? Yes. But I feel like when I do that, I'm using some part of my brain power to be aware that I'm focused. It seems to reduce the amount of focus I have on that object now. And so I'm sharing, and sometimes that part, yes. the awareness part, overwhelms mm-hmm. the focus part. And I'm thinking more about how I'm aware of that object than I am actually being aware of the object. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, you, you've uh, brought up something that is, uh, this is very true and it's an important point. Uh, in terms of conscious awareness and attention, it is something that it, it, it's not an infinite, infinite capacity. It's limited. And the more dispersed it is, the experience is weaker. It's like the beam of light. If a beam of light is spread, you know, it covers a larger area, but not as strongly. And if it's focused, you know, uh, then uh, it's very strong, but it covers a smaller area. So consciousness, uh, attention... Uh, are, are, are mental faculties that uh, exist with limitations. Part of what we do is to expand and increase that. Now, when you, with regard to uh, this uh, introspective versus objective awareness, uh, the, when you first begin this mental training, you'll find that it's very difficult to hold the two at the same time. 
you're, you're paying attention to your meditation object and every now and then you're sort of turning around to look at your mind and say, oh, oh, okay, good, yeah, I'm still doing that. Or, oh, look at that, I'm slipping into dullness. You know, and it's something you, you, you have to sort of go from this to that and then back again. And then after a while, the power of your conscious awareness agree, uh, increases so that you actually come to a place where you're simultaneously aware of both. But you're also, you're still experiencing that, as just as you said, the more you are aware of what's happening in your mind, the less clear the details are of the object, the meditation object. But then as you continue, you'll find that the power of your mindfulness increases until you can be continuously in a state of a very high level of clarity of awareness of what's taking place in your mind while it's as though another part of your mind continues that function of observing the meditation object or what's really more importantly you're out in your life you're doing things you're driving your car and you're carrying on conversations and you're conducting business and you're able to watch yourself while you're doing those things and, and of course, right now, you're like, oh, I couldn't do that, you know. If, if I tried to watch myself while I was talking to somebody, I wouldn't hear what they said. I wouldn't know what I was going to say, you know. And, and that's true. But this is one of the amazing changes that takes place through, as, as a result of your practice, is you come to a place where you can, can be continuously aware of what's happening in your mind in the present moment, even while you're out there doing and speaking, uh, and and feeling, and, and you're aware of your feelings as they arise in nature and so forth. So this is this is really where we're, we're trying to to go to. That's this is this is the objective is to get to that place. But you're absolutely right. To begin with, it's a limited commodity, and you find as you spread it, you know that it, it, it you experience it as being somewhat weaker, and that's completely normal. That's as it should be. Yes? I have a question. Um, is it possible sometimes to do something that you love a lot and and do it unconsciously, like going to an unconscious state and 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 then you don't know how you did it? Like I'm, I'm trying to get, like I paint and, mm -hmm. and sometimes I don't know how I finish that. You know, I don't even know how. I, and the moment when I'm doing it, I can mix all the colors and everything, but then I, after, I don't know how it got that way. Mm -hmm. it, it surprises me too. So how do I control the awareness, because I seem to go unconscious when I paint, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm pretty focused when I'm painting, but but I don't know how I got there. You know, I don't <laughs> know how to control, like, be aware, yeah. and maybe okay. we produce the same thing again. Like, I, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? It, it almost goes into a dream or unconsciousness. Like, so I want to be able to control the consciousness. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's fun going unconscious, but yeah. I want to be able to be more conscious of what I'm doing. Well, I, I think one of the beneficial side effects of meditation practice that you will experience is that that you will be more fully aware of what you're doing. So even while you're, you're, you're painting, uh, and what's happening right now, and, and, and I'm just guessing, but uh, that uh, probably uh, a lot of the effectiveness of your art is that your mind just automatically devotes all of its resources to what it's doing in the present moment, sparing none to observe itself and as, as it does it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is fine. 
Now, as uh, because it's working for you, but you'd say, "Well, gee, I'd like to know how I did that." Mm -hmm. As as you develop concentration and mindful awareness, you'll find it it has two effects. One is that right now your good beneficial results are coming from devoting all of your mental resources to the single task. You'll have more resources to devote to the single task, but you'll also have more resources to spare to observe yourself in the process. So you might have a, a better idea uh, of what's taking place. Now, most of us, our lives are like her pictures. We don't even know what we're doing, except retrospectively. You know, it's like every day is a painting, and at the end of the day you say, wow, I didn't realize I was doing that at the time. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, you see, that's, uh, that's one of the things that uh, uh, we'd like to change for the better, is that our, our life is uh, a work of art. It is a creation. And we would like to be fully aware of what it is that we're doing as we create our life moment by moment. You know, and as, as we recreate create who we are as a person in the world, we would like to do that consciously. And so that's where, that, that's where we're trying to come to, is that place of consciousness. So I think you'll find, you'll find that in your artwork you'll have more awareness of what you're doing and why you're doing and how you're doing it. But also in the rest of your life, the same thing. You'll become aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it. So, so anyway, consciousness or, or concentration and mindful awareness. These are the things that, that to a greater or lesser degree, any kind of meditation is... Uh, giving you, is, is asking you to develop and giving you certain tools to, to develop. And so the, the, what I'm going to teach you is we're going to deal with it very, uh, very directly and understanding exactly what we're doing as we go along. So to make it as uh, fully, uh, to be as fully successful as possible in that process. Well, let's talk about it. I'm going to go back to who, who's a beginning meditator and who's not. Did everyone get a, a copy of uh, this uh, progressive stages of meditation in plain English? And you probably just got it this morning, so you haven't had any chance to look at it yet. Huh? But uh, and so I'll, I'm just going to give you a very brief overview of it and then hopefully you'll have time to look at this later on. But basically uh, the, the, there are ten stages that uh, you go through in this process of mental development and the culmination of that is uh, in the tenth stage you are a, a, an, an adept uh, meditator and you have uh, you have develop your powers of concentration and mindful awareness to, uh, to the fullest degree. Of those ten stages, there are in the process four uh, major turning points, so to speak, landmarks or milestones that we can break the ten up into. 
And so the fourth stage out of the ten is the first of those milestones. And that really, when you reach the fourth stage, you're not a beginner anymore. But until you've reached the fourth stage, you're a beginning meditator, no matter how long you've been meditating. And that fourth stage, if you, if you look at this, it says on the first page here, and about the middle of the page, it says the four milestone achievements are, and it's number one, uninterrupted continuity of attention to the meditation object. And of course, you'll recognize that as that's that's the when I said concentration was being able to sustain your attention on the meditation object and uh, degree of focus. So the first milestone is uninterrupted continuity of attention. It's being able to sit down and meditate for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour or two hours or four hours, and you never cease to be aware of the meditation object. No matter what else is going on in your mind, you never lose the awareness of the meditation object. And until you can do that, you're a beginner. Until you can do that, the only concentration you have is ordinary concentration, which doesn't last very long. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I, I've always found it interesting that uh, one of the uh, greatest... Uh, Psychologists and the development of Western psychology was William James. Some of you may recognize that name. Others may not. He lived around uh, the uh, beginning of uh, the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century. And uh, he was a brilliant man, and he really was the, the father of, of uh, modern psychology, Western psychology. But one of the statements that he made is that it's impossible for the human mind to stay on the same object for more than about 10 or 15 seconds. He knew nothing about the meditation traditions uh, of the East. And for the ordinary untrained mind, that is pretty much true. 10 or 15 seconds uh, is, is pretty good. Unless, of course, you know, if, uh, if you're trying to dismantle a bomb, you know, you can probably stay focused longer than 10 or 15 seconds. But under ordinary circumstances, that's probably the best most people can do. Some people, maybe more than that, and some people not even that much, but that would be kind of an average. So when you, when you reach the, this first milestone, which is the fourth of the 10 stages, uh, you've trained yourself to be able to do something that most people in the world cannot do and that untrained people cannot do. Now, and as I say, I mean, here we get into what I consider a very important part from the point of view of perception. There are a huge number of people out there who've been practicing meditation under different teachers for a long time, and they have not reached that stage. They cannot do that. And because of that, most people, when they become interested in and involved in meditation, they quickly pick up the idea, this is really hard to do. 
And a lot of people also, a, a lot of those people who have been practicing meditation and deriving some benefits and enjoying their meditation but cannot sustain their attention on the meditation object for a whole sit, they've resigned themselves. Part of the reason they can't is they've given up. It's just not possible. So I'll just get used to the fact that, yeah, my mind wanders when it does, you know. Uh, I'll just start over again. But what I want to tell you is that you can, you can achieve this and you can achieve it fairly quickly if you just if if you know what to do, and that's what I'm going to be talking to you about, and that really of these ten stages, uh, once you've once you've achieved that, the rest comes pretty uh, well. Uh, it's guaranteed that if you keep on practicing, the rest will come. So I'll just I'm, I'm going to continue giving you an overview, just an overview of the ten stages in terms of the things that I already talked about. Okay, The fourth stage, the first milestone event, is when you can sit down and you never lose awareness of the meditation object. As I say, no matter what else is going on in your mind, and a lot of other things will be going on in your mind, but you never lose it. It acts as kind, kind of an anchor. Then the next major milestone, and if you look at it, is sustained single-pointed attention with exclusive focus, um, sometimes called single-pointedness. Although, uh, what's important about this is, okay, when you reach when you've reached this first milestone, you don't lose the meditation object. But sometimes you're just barely aware of it. You're just, you know, weakly conscious of it. And there's other thoughts or there's other sensations, you know, pain in your knee or something you're worrying about or sometimes a whole stream of things going through your mind. So that even though you don't lose it, it's definitely not at the center, at the focus of your attention. And your mind is full of a lot of other stuff. Now, this corresponds, sing, this sustained single-pointed attention with exclusive focus, this is the seventh of the ten stages. And what you've added then here to, to sustain the attention is that you're able to control the focus. You decide what stays in your awareness and what you exclude from it. And you can be very finely single-pointed, you know, just zeroed in on something in particular. Or you can be aware of the sensations in your entire body. But while you're aware of your sensations of your entire body, you're excluding awareness of random thoughts and memories or sounds and things like that. So uh, it is single-pointed in the sense of, of exclusive focus, that this is what I'm paying attention to and I'm ignoring everything else. It may it's not that it's gone. It's not that you're in a trance or something. But, you know, when you're, uh, uh, when you're talking to a friend uh, in a sidewalk cafe, you know there's traffic going by, but you're not paying any attention to it. You're having your conversation with your friend. It's the same thing. Single-pointedness, you are engaged with your meditation object. Sounds may come and go. An occasional thought drifts through, but it's just like the car is driving by on the street. You don't pay any attention to it. It doesn't draw your attention away. It's just, it's there. It just comes and goes. 
and it's not a problem. Now, you're a beginner until the fourth stage, this first landmark. And then, at that point, you begin to have skilled concentration. When you have not only sustained attention, but exclusive focus, you now have, you are a, a skilled meditator. You're a skilled meditator. And you will be already in a position to uh, reap all kinds of benefits from a meditation practice. Then the next landmark, the third, is effortless stability of attention. And that's actually the eighth stage. comes right after the seventh. The very next stage. You have this relatively single-pointed, continuous attention, but in the seventh stage, you have to be constantly vigilant because if you stop being vigilant, you'll lose it. Constantly vigilant. But what happens what, and what brings about the next transformation is it becomes effortless. It no longer, you don't have to sustain that vigilance. You sit down, you put your attention where you want, and it stays there. And you don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. You decide to use your mind in a different way, you use your mind in a different way. But your mind is, is, is uh, very compliant to your intentions. Now, when that happens, one of the things that you'll discover here, and, and I'll try to make clear to you as we go through this weekend, is that your mind is not one thing. Your mind is many different processes taking place at once. And they are mostly going in different directions. The reason that it is possible for you to come to a place where you can sustain your att attention wherever you want, however you want, is because as a process of unification of mind takes place. Instead of being all these different processes, each with their own agenda, each trying to go a different direction, your mind becomes unified into the single purpose, the single activity that you're engaged in. And that's what brings about effortlessness. Now, the other most amazing thing that happens that when the mind becomes unified is you become filled with a sense of joyful happiness and your body feels really good. You can sit here for hours without a problem, no discomfort. Yeah. So, and this is... Uh, this joy and this happiness, you're not lost in some kind of trance. You are completely aware, completely awake, completely alert, totally present, and just joyfully happy. Now, this is, some, this is not something that is magical or mysterious or unknown. We all experience this. Think about it. Any time your mind becomes unified, you experience joy and happiness. When you are doing something you really like to do, you love to do, and you're just totally focused on it, and there's nothing else in your mind, you're just doing it, how do you feel? Very happy, very joy. You just love it. We, this is why we have hobbies and things like this. We're always, you know, we, we, we know that if we can get into that state of 
just being, you know, instead of the different parts of our mind trying to go in different directions with different agendas and worrying about this problem and that, when we leave it all behind and we come into a state of unification of mind, it is joyful, it's pleasant, and it's happy. And we experience that directly in meditation when we train our mind to reach this state of unification. Think about a time, you know, like... Uh, I, I use a, an example, a very good one, from uh, uh, a book. And you may recognize this. Uh, a man sitting in a rocking chair, listening to music, looking out the window, sees the branches of the trees uh, with the new, newly budding leaves, the green, and the window pane that he's looking through has a little defect in it, a line. And he's rocking back and forth. And as he rocks back and forth, the, the beautiful trees and the green, the colors outside the window, are uh, the, this ripple is moving back and forth across his field of vision. And he realizes that he's rocking the chair in time to the music. And the music is beautiful and the sensation of the... Music is beautiful. Sense of hearing, one part of the mind. And he's rocking back and forth, comfortable in the chair, bodily sensation, another part of the mind engagement is, is part of this. Visual. He's looking at this beautiful scene outside the window and the ripple is moving back and forth in time to the music. You see, he's sitting there in this joyful state of, isn't this wonderful looking out the window at this beautiful scene, rocking in this chair, hearing the music, and following it. Every part of his mind is engaged in a single unified task and or process, and the result is a state of joyful happiness. Well, this this is something that we automatically access in the meditative training, as when we reach a certain uh, a certain degree of skill, when there is this unification of mind. Okay, so that's that's something that happens at that stage. Now, as far as the remaining stages. Uh, that, that's the eighth stage, the third milestone. So we've got the eighth, ninth, and tenth stages. What happens there is uh, the initial excitedness of the joyfulness of meditation becomes less intense. And there is a, an equanimity and a tranquility. And most importantly, it becomes so much a part of the meditator that it doesn't disappear when you know the the bell rings and it's time to end the sitting. It doesn't all just go away, but it stays with them. They get up from their meditation, and they have the great power of mindful awareness, of introspective awareness. They can continue to observe themselves objectively as they go and do things. They're filled with a sense of equanimity towards things. They're not bothered by the unpleasant, and and they're not. Uh, captivated by the pleasant. They experience tranquility and there is this background in their mind of joy and happiness. And so that is that is the tenth state. And I'll give you another word, samatha. I said samadhi was concentration. Samatha is the full development of both concentration and mindful awareness together that brings you to this state, the tenth state. It's characterized by it's characterized by 
joy, happiness, tranquility, and equanimity, and it's accompanied by a mind that is completely compliant and by powerful mindful awareness. That's what samatha means. And so in the ten stages that I've given you here, they are ten stages leading to the samatha. From with samatha as a basis, you can you can achieve the fruits of any kind of meditation practice if you haven't already. Uh, one of the fruits of meditation practice is the wisdom that leads to awakening, what's called enlightenment, to, uh, to achieve the awakening uh, of, uh, of the Buddha. This is one of the things that either can come in the process of the development of samatha, and if it doesn't happen somewhere in the process, once the person has developed samatha, then it's not very far away. It won't take very much more practice for that to come. It's just true that you have some good days and you have some bad days. Yeah. Some days you know you've gone to a certain stage and you feel sensation in your body and everything. And some days take you 30 minutes, an hour, you still can't be mine, still wandering around. Is, is that true or? It, uh, that is, it's completely normal that you, you, there's a lot of variation from one day to the next in your meditation practice. But over time, what will happen is you will become less vulnerable to those kinds of variations. And there will be greater and greater consistency. In, uh, because you'll have, your mind will have more equanimity and more resiliency. Because the days that you experience a lot of distraction, your mind has been agitated due to something. Uh, and as, as you come to the place where the same events produce less agitation, you have more resiliency, then they will have less impact on your, on your meditation practice. There's also a certain factor that has to do with the amount of time that you spend uh, in, in deep meditation and the amount of time, of time you spend meditating. As I say, in this, uh, in this tenth stage of uh, where samatha has been achieved, one of the things that characterizes it is that the meditative state continues on. And if you meditate for an hour a day, it will last, but it will gradually diminish. And then the next day you sit and meditate for an hour again and you'll bring it back up to that strength. If you... If you meditate two hours each day, it's stronger and it lasts longer. Or four hours each day, it's stronger and it lasts longer. If you miss two or three days of meditation, then you know you have to bring that back again. Which is an important thing about samatha compared to the other thing that I mentioned, which is awakening. Samatha is something that is the result of specific causes and conditions. It's the result of the training of the mind and the application of the training of the mind in practice. And it's a wonderful result. It's powerful. But it doesn't last. It passes away. Samatha is a tool. It's not an end goal. 
samatha as an end goal, if something happens that keeps you from meditating, you lose it. You become sick. You lose it because you can't practice. Um, whatever. Any kind of thing that you can think of that interferes with that. So it's, it's something, it's conditioned, and as wonderful and powerful as it is, it is temporary. And that's, that's the most important thing that this gentleman's question brings up about this. And that is why, uh, in, in terms of our goals of meditation, why you meditate, I would encourage you to take as your primary objective is to achieve that wisdom that leads to awakening. Because the difference between uh, the wonderful uh, state called samatha, and I'll just recapitulate it so that, you, so that you know how wonderful it is. Your mind is in a state of joy. You experience happiness. You have equanimity. That means bad things, good things, whatever happens to you, it doesn't disturb your state of, of joy and happiness. You just accept things as, as they come and go. Tranquility. There's a great peace. You don't need anything. You're not driven or compelled. It's just you enjoy the beautiful tranquility. Tranquility, equanimity, joy, happiness. Full mindful awareness. You know what you're doing. You have, and, and oh, it's to be fully awake and fully present all the time. It's wonderful. It, it, it is so enhancing. It makes uh, a day of life of full awareness is worth more than a month of days of going around half asleep. And so samatha is wonderful, but it, it is temporary. Any of you can achieve samatha. Also, any of you can achieve awakening, the wisdom that what is awakening? What is enlightenment? How is this different than samatha? It is essentially, you know, whether you're happy or unhappy, it, it's your mind that creates suffering. It's your mind that creates happiness. Your mind does these things. And awakening is to attain to it, well, it's to overcome a certain kind of ignorance, delusion. Your mind creates the problems it does because your mind is operating from a place of delusion and ignorance. A very fundamental, mistaken uh, idea of the way things are. This is the source of all of your problems. And when you can come to the place of seeing that flaw, seeing that through that illusion, and seeing the truth, this is a knowledge. A knowledge that changes the way your mind functions thereafter. You know, it's as though your brain becomes rewired, and from then on, it functions in a different way changing the way your mind functions through 
the dispelling of ignorance and through the ridding of a particular kind of delusion so that given the same experience your mind comes to a different conclusion produces a different result that's that's the essence of what awakening is and meditation is the path to achieving that knowledge to attaining that understanding that that clarity penetrating that illusion and eventually eliminating that ignorance that's what it is now when you are an awakened person when you've achieved that you have all the benefits of samatha except that it's not vulnerable to loss it's not dependent upon causes and conditions it's a a fundamental change has taken place through understanding and and as re- as a result of that understanding through how experience is interpreted moment by moment and that's what makes that permanent change in your life but to see through illusion you have to have a mind that you can use effectively it's the same mind that's operating by illusion that has to be able to see the truth in order to discard the illusion and thereafter function in a different way when you have acquired this wisdom that dispels the fundamental ignorance that is the cause of your problem then what you, what will what will characterize your situation what will characterize your life after that well first of all you'll be free from suffering your mind will no longer generate that mental state of suffering it doesn't mean that there won't be any physical pain if somebody steps on your toe it's painful but you won't suffer as a result of it in the same way your mind will no longer be subject to suffering you will have that happiness that comes from the unification of mind because you'll have a truly unified mind so there will be a, a, instead of suffering there will be a bliss of satisfaction and, and equanimity a person who is awakened is freed from the driving compulsion of desire and aversion of greed and hatred of of craving for this or craving not to have that it is that you know we also say awakening enlightenment liberation it is the liberation from those compulsive drives that lead to all of our suffering that is why we use the the term liberation so an awakened person is not compelled in every moment of their life by these desire and aversion by constantly grasping after the 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 pleasurable the pleasant the desirable and the constant striving against that which is unpleasant and un, undesirable they're freed from that the other thing about being an awakened person part of the ignorance that is dispelled and part of the understanding that is attained is that the awakened person no longer perceives themselves as separate and this happens in such a way 
that it opens them up to a profound compassion for all sentient beings because in all sentient beings they see that the, the same self that they were prior to their awakening suffering in the same way they see that they, they recognize that sentient being as their own pre-awakened self and there is the desire and purpose and motivation to help to serve all sentient beings and to help them to overcome this and so sometimes people ask the question I love when people ask the question well if I was enlightened why would I even get out of bed in the morning <laughs> why would I do anything and the reason is you know, and, and you know the Buddha taught for 45 years after his enlightenment and he did entertain that question he did say why should I bother getting out of well not that he said uh, he said this understanding I gained is, is deep and profound and, and, and difficult to grasp and uh, nobody's going to understand me uh, you know and, and uh, he but he changed his mind fortunately he, he recognized no this is something that, that people need I have to share this I you know uh, it's necessary for me to go and teach. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, temptation personified as it is in the sutras, as a, as the being Mara came, and Mara said, "Hey, you know, look, you've done it. Okay, you've you've beat me. You've you've conquered it. There's no point in you staying around. You know, there's no point in you staying in this world. And just why don't you leave now?" And he said, "No, I'm going to stay." And I will not leave this world until all those people, uh, the uh, monks and the nuns and the lay people, have understood my teaching, have assimilated my teaching, have lived my teaching, and can teach it to others and can uh, argue against those who, uh, who deny it. Wonderful story. It's in, it's, uh, but that's why... That's why and it, that's what gives an awakened person uh, meaning and purpose in their life is the great compassion that arises loving kindness and compassion for other beings so I have a question the more enlightenment you find on yourself and the more you get into this purity state to, to me of mind and heart and everything else how do you deal with very intense people that are always in your face they, they are very into the envious into the into the materialism world, you know, into competition with each other, you know, especially women, and, and how do you deal with these people when they're in your face all the time? Like, I'm, I'm having a hard time mm -hmm. dealing with this at this point. But yeah, well, the, having a hard time dealing with these things, this is, you see, this is the nature of, this is the nature of life that makes it un unsatisfactory and is a cause of our suffering, is that there are these dynamics taking place but the problem is the way that our minds are reacting to what's taking place and this is the whole thing that once a person experiences awakening their mind stops reacting and in the same way and so what was a problem is no longer a problem that's that's the whole wonderful essence of it is that what was a problem is no longer a problem. That, and that's why the, an awakened being can go and work to make changes in the world. 
uh, to, to in, in whatever form, any form. Preferred method is to help as many other people as possible to awaken. But it doesn't matter, any form. But an, an awakened person is capable of being a very powerful force in the world because they are not hindered and instructed by their mind's own reactions to the circumstances that they encounter, to the downturns, to the negativity of other people, all of these things. They are not hindered by that reaction. So, okay. Um, I think we should probably uh, have a, a, a break soon and then we're going to start directing the discussion more towards the actual practice of, of meditation. But let's just take a few minutes here. And uh, I've talked about a lot of things here. Uh, please uh, ask me your questions and tell me your thoughts. You know. And I, I'm going to assume that if you don't say anything, then what I said had no impact at all on you. I'm curious about you. I mean, why did you pick Arizona and why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Are you away from people or why? Well, yeah, I, I, that was the original reason is getting away from people. Uh, now I'm just I'm going the other way. See, I'm so glad to have you here and to have the opportunity to, to teach you these things myself. Yeah, so. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yes. So, um, I'm definitely a beginner, and I've also meditated for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, sounds great. You know, the, the fact that the skill can be developed to have uninterrupted attention for an hour. Mm -hmm. um, I guess. Okay to say I'm cynical because, mm -hmm. because I've tried for so long. Yes. And uh, I'm very, I'm very aware because I yeah. sense the opportunity to benefit myself, but I'm also wondering how it can be quickly obtained. I don't know. I guess well, see, that, that's yeah. That's that's good. That's that's you know. You're, you're, you're a wonderful person for me to be able to work with because you've tried uh, for a long time and you're somewhat cynical because uh, you're, you, you haven't been able to achieve what you had hoped and, and uh, so and this is this is really what I'm all about is I'm, I'm trying to uh, un unlock the secrets I'm, I'm trying to show the way how everyone can make this happen very quickly. There's two problems. One is, uh, uh, is method that doesn't strike at the heart of the problem. And, you know, and so the degree to, the, the degree to which the methods you've been using uh, fail to address the specific things that are holding you back. That's one part of it. The other thing that is a problem is uh, uh, and this is where the uh, cynicism comes in, it's the strength of the first that has to overcome this one, it is that we pick up very readily the belief that these are difficult, untainable kinds of achievements, that they, uh, few people 
can master these meditation skills. And those that do, it takes a long, long time and a great deal of difficulty and things like that. And so this belief stands in the way. And the same thing is true of awakening. You know, the, in, in, the, uh, in the time of the Buddha, after his own awakening, he was able to go and teach and bring people to, the, uh, to full awakening in huge numbers. He held one, one single convocation of 1,250 arhats, you know, and com- by comparison with that, uh, not very long ago, throughout most of Southeast Asian Buddhism, it was taken for granted that there were no more arhats, that people couldn't become arhats anymore, and that very few people could even achieve the the first stage of enlightenment of stream entry, you know, and uh, and in general. The attitude that I think that whether they're overtly aware of it or not, most people have is that enlightenment, awakening, uh, oh, that's that's this uh, wonderful but next to impossible thing that, that very, very few people can achieve. And I, I'm going to tell you exactly the opposite. It's in it's within it's within the capacity of every single person in this room to achieve awakening uh, in this lifetime. You know, but the belief that you can't will always be an obstacle. Okay, so good. You're 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 the perfect you're a perfect student. You've you've tried. You failed. You have a certain amount of cynicism as a result. So let's work with that. Let's see where we can go with it and see if we can pinpoint the things that are standing in your way and see if we can move past them. I was kind of curious about uh, the third milestone and, uh, for example, a lot of people have fear and they can't overcome fear, or phobia may be another term they use mm-hmm. in the West, or a lot of people have compulsions that come from the unconscious that drive behavior. So how does one use just mindfulness to, mm-hmm. to overcome these, or is there other things that should uh, well, it's actually the most powerful tool that I know of to use against these kinds of things is mindful awareness. One of the things that happens uh, with everyone, in, uh, particularly in uh, of these ten stages, in the middle stages between the fourth and the eighth stage, is that there is a kind of mental purification that takes place. As the mind becomes calmer and quieter, uh, there's a lot of mental activity going on at much deeper levels all of the time. And that's exactly where the source of these fears, phobias, compulsions, uh, things like that, this is where they live, at these deeper levels of the mind. As the surface levels of the mind becomes calm and clear, you know, it's like as the water stills, you begin to see what's, and, and, and the things that are, are down below, they'll come to the surface. And there comes the opportunity to see them for what they are and accept them and let them go. This is an absolutely essential part of the meditation process. You will not achieve the eighth stage until you've gone through a sufficient degree of this kind of purification and it happens by itself. And when these things come up, they come up by themselves, but when they come up, the... uh, the response isn't to 
seize on them, react to them. It's not to analyze them. There's not really a place for, you know, like it, it, with psychoanalysis, there's always delving into the roots of where this comes from and everything. There may be some small degree of that necessary with some things and some people, but by and large, the whole thing is that with the power of mindful awareness that you've developed, that this thing comes up and you can look at it and you can see it for exactly what it is and you can continue to look at it for as long as is necessary until you come to a place of acceptance. And once you come to the place of acceptance, you are liberated from it. You can let it go. It may come back a few times before that you've completely let it go. But this, this is how it works, and it's a very important part of the process. One of the most deep-seated phobias that we have, and you mentioned the third stage, the third, our third milestone, which is effortlessness. To, for your practice to be truly effortless, you have to give up the need to be in control of it. And it's difficult to do. And this is uh, one of the phobias I don't even think it's probably classified, uh, well, probably is. I mean, psychologists classify everything. But one of the phobias is pretty much universal uh, to a greater degree or lesser degree in everyone is the need to be in control and the fear that arises when we're not in control. And that's actually one of the things that you do have to deal with. I had to deal with that uh, in order to achieve effortlessness uh, and concentration myself. I had to deal with that. The first time it happened, it was wonderful and it happened by accident. And then when I tried to do it again, I came bang up against it. Well, I can't let go. I can't not be in control. But you can't do something effortlessly if you're trying to be in control of it. <laughs> this can't happen. So yeah. it is part of the process. Question? Yes. At what stage do you don't need an object? Do you all need an object? Uh, an object is a uh, an object is a very desirable component of the method, up to the point of single pointedness, once our unification of mind. It's a tool that brings you to unification of mind. Once you have unification of mind, once you have a mind that is is trained in steadiness, you no longer need an object. You can continue to use an object. You can continue to practice single-pointedly, and you can move on to uh, a kind of practice that's called jhana or absorption. But you can also choose not to do that, and you can uh, you can go to a mode of practice which is uh, well. One mode of practice is just to uh, attend to whatever arises, and it's kind of it's called a uh, it's sometimes referred to as momentary concentration. It's not that your concentration is momentary, but it's that objects are arising and passing away. And so what you do is you just allow your mind to focus on each one as it arises and passes away, as it arises and passes away. So you see clearly the nature of, uh, of the way the mind is working. Another thing, and, and so you're not using a fixed object there. Another way of practicing is very, very powerful is to just open, make your, make your awareness uh, expansive and space-like and just allow anything to pass through it that happens to pass through it while keeping your awareness 
totally steady. So there's no fixed object at all. There's not even, as in the, the uh, method called momentary concentration, you're temporarily fixing on each thing as it arises and passes away. But in this other approach uh, of the expansive awareness, it's just uh, your, your mind becomes like a mirror that uh, reflects whatever happens to, uh, to pass in front of it, but without attaching to it in any way at all. So there's other modes of practice. So it's, uh, it's up to, um, you can begin to use these other modes of practice effectively at the seventh stage, but most effectively at the eighth stage where, where the stability of mind is effortless. Isn't what you just described, you know, fixing your mind on the uh, emptiness or space, that's mm-hmm. the state of awakening? That's not the state of awakening, but it leads to the knowledge that leads to the state of awakening. Uh, it's uh, d- different. It goes by different names: choiceless awareness and uh, Mahamudra and things like this. But the, what they are, they are not in themselves a state of awakening, but they are practices that lead to the arising of knowledge, of understanding, of insight. And then uh, the when the insight is fully incorporated into the mind then the transformation of mind that is awakening takes place. So the difference is the insight, the, the difference between that stage and awakening is what? Well, awakening, your mind has been transformed by the destruction of a particular kind of delusion and its replacement by a particular kind of wisdom. So the awakening is a permanent transformation of the mind. Uh, it's not. It's not a transitory state. Uh, practicing expansive awareness, observing the arising and passing away of things, is a means to that. It has certain things in common with the way uh, an awakened mind experiences reality because an awakened mind understands the uh, illusory aspect of uh, experience and so in that way the awakened mind does not attach to the appearances that come and go so in that way it's similar but to have the meditative state that has a similarity is not to be awakened there has to the, the awakening is the transfer is a permanent transformation of the mind that comes through the destruction of the underlying ignorance, and which oh, I, I think I need to give you all a break. Okay, I see. I've, I've kept you sitting here for a long time. Let's take uh, let's take a fifteen minute break. <laughs>